Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, under this Premier's watch, BC's once world-leading cancer care system has dramatically deteriorated, plummeting to some of the worst wait times in the country. It's gotten so bad that the NDP are now outsourcing cancer patients to the United States for treatment, something we haven't seen since the last time the NDP was in power in the 1990s. But the daily reality for cancer patients is endless waiting, deteriorating health, and lives lost because of the tragic failure to provide basic access to cancer care. So can the Premier tell us why it is only under NDP governments that British Columbians are forced to go to the United States to receive basic, timely cancer care? Minister of Health. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, the government, as you know, and as uh, the member will know, instituted its 10-year cancer plan uh, earlier this year. There was, there was and is a very significant investment in our cancer system, one that has not been seen since the 1990s, an investment in, our can in every aspect of our cancer system. I just want to report to uh, the Leader of the Opposition that since April 1st, 61 doctors, oncologists have been hired, 29 radiation specialists have been hired. This, is, this is, shows the effectiveness of a health human resources policy focused on addressing the needs of British Columbians now and in the future. He will know and everyone will know that we're going to go between now and the next 10 years from 30,000 diagnoses of cancer to 45,000. And that's why we're investing now and throughout the next 10 years to ensure that British Columbia has a cancer center system it needs now and in the future. Leader of the official opposition, supplemental. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure British Columbians uh, feel comforted knowing that uh, after seven years of government, the NDP finally introduced a 10-year cancer plan. But the reality is that BC cancer wait times are now among the worst. And new documents reveal that the Premier's Band-Aid response to the crisis is grossly undelivering and failing to meet their own targets they set. The opposition has acquired documents revealing that half a year in, not only has cancer care gotten to the point where they are outsourcing patients to hospitals in the United States, what makes it even worse, Mr. Speaker, is they can't even send the number of patients that they've contracted for. An average of 12 patients a week have been treated in the United States, not even close to the over 50 patients per week that the NDP contracted with U.S. hospitals for. So my question to the Premier, after seven years of mismanaging our health care system, how can the Premier stand here and pretend cancer care is a priority when patients are literally dying on wait lists waiting to get basic cancer care? Minister of Health. Well, what the member is referring to is radiation therapy. And yes, we contracted uh, uh, with facilities in Bellingham because well, we're doing, I think, a very significant and important investment in cancer care. We want to ensure that people who need care now get it. And that contract, as the member will know, is for up to 50 patients a week. We wanted to have that capacity. And patients in the hundreds have gone to the United States and got that treatment. It just shows our determination to act in every element of cancer care. I might note, for example, on diagnostic care, that the only PET CT scanners that existed when I became Minister of Health, Honourable Speaker, were in Vancouver. We've added in Kelowna and Victoria. We're adding in multiple other communities as we add cancer centres in Nanaimo and in Kamloops 
and in Burnaby and in Surrey, Honourable Speaker. This is building out the cancer system we need now and in the future, and we're going to continue to do it. Leader of the Official Opposition, second supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Six months into the NDP's outsourcing of BC cancer patients to the U.S., we're now seeing it's a glaring failure, resulting in less than a quarter of those that it was supposed to help actually getting the treatment. Repeated NDP mismanagement of our cancer care system has hurt patients, like Alison DeCluzo. Diagnosed with stage four abdominal cancer, she faced the shocking reality in BC and was told to get her affairs in order to prepare for the end of her life, not to get treatment. Allison, abandoned by BC's cancer care system, found immediate life-saving treatment in the United States, fortunately. And in her words, under this NDP Premier, and I quote, universal health care does not exist. Let's, it's do-it-yourself health care and go fund me health care, end of quote. So my question to the Premier, how many more patients like Allison must suffer before they can get the basic access to cancer care that they deserve? Minister of Health. Oh, uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And uh, uh, it's my view, and uh, it has been our direction and our policy to add resources throughout our cancer system. As I noted to the uh, Leader of the Opposition, in response to his first question, we've added since April 1st on oncology alone, 61 oncologists, Honourable Speaker. We continue to invest in every aspect of our cancer center system, adding a lung cancer screening program, building new cancer centers, adding new diagnostic equipment, and we're going to continue to do that work together. We know that we have a growing and an aging population, and we're responding to that with a massive and comprehensive response. We're going to continue to do this, and this contrasts, Honourable Speaker, with the underinvestment in cancer that occurred for at least a decade prior to my becoming Minister of Health. We're going to continue to invest, continue to support people, because just the story raised by the Honourable Leader of the Opposition, I think, shows the absolute need, when people need care, the absolute need to provide it. Member for Prince George Whale Mount. Well, one thing we know, and the Minister knows it, is that cancer can't wait. This minister, this government, made a promise to British Columbians, and they have failed abysmally. In fact, the outsourcing of BC patients is a failure. In fact, Interior Health has seen zero patients treated, and Northern Health, 14 after six months. And every day, it's not just Allison, we hear more heart-wrenching stories of pain and neglect. Let's look at the story of Kristen Logan, a stage four ovarian cancer patient. She was confronted with systemic failures and delays in BC. Kristen had no choice but to self-fund her treatment in the United States. And here's what she said. These are her words. And I quote, our healthcare system isn't tripping over minor hurdles. It's plummeting off a cliff. We're not dealing with occasional misses. We're grappling with neglect that has become the norm, end quote. So to the minister, today, patients like Kristen and Allison must suffer before British Columbians get a chance to get the cancer care they need and deserve at home. What will he do 
for patients like Kristen and Allison. Minister. Well, Honourable Speaker, what we're doing is, is action at every level. A health human resources plan that is exceeding, succeeding in hiring doctors and nurses, oncologists and health sciences professionals and health care workers. We're building out team-based care and cancer care. The member talks about interior health. The reason for that, the reason why interior health isn't involved in that program, is that wait times are dramatically less in interior health. That is a, that is a fact for radiation therapy, which is a specific uh, type of therapy which we're addressing with the Bellingham Initiative, Honourable Speaker. Hundreds of people, hundreds of people have gone to Bellingham who need care, Honourable Speaker. And, uh, and the, the Honourable Member, and that just demonstrates our determination to act now and to take the steps in the future to, to continue and to build out the cancer centre we need in the coming decade when demand for cancer care is absolutely going to increase. Member Supplemental. Well, in fact, the minister was warned over and over again, including by specialists in this province, that we were going to face a tsunami of stage four cancer cases. That's under his watch. As we look at the outsourcing of VC cancer patients, the system continues to collapse. And the minister can say what he will, but when we look at the failed screening numbers for people who are traveling to the United States, the major reason is they don't want treatment in the United States. They want treatment at home. That is this And imagine, imagine they actually refuse treatment in the United States because they believe they should be treated here in British Columbia. Let's, talk, let's look at how Kristen reacted to what the minister said. And his answers today are another primary example of it. And I quote, I couldn't believe how he just completely was careless and lacking any kind of accountability. His response didn't say to me, yes, we know there's a problem and we're working on them. It was just kind of like, yeah, stuff happens, end of quote. So the health minister has a chance today. He has a chance today to get up and speak directly to Kristen and Allison and hundreds of other cancer patients who are suffering and waiting for treatment in British Columbia. Will the minister get up today and acknowledge his failure when it comes to cases like Kristen's and Allison's? Minister. Well, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And you know, Honourable Speaker, cancer affects every family. It affects my own and it affects every family uh, in uh, British Columbia. And we all, that is why, I think, Honourable Speaker, the massive actions we're taking to recruit, to train, to provide better cancer services for people are so important. With respect to, for example, rural British Columbia, there's never been adequate support for people who need to travel for care. We only have, in British Columbia, the, the five cancer centres, and people have to travel for care. We've put in place, with Hope Air, and the Canadian Cancer Society, um, a, a program to substantially assist people, not only them, but their family members, in traveling to get cancer care in our province. We are adding, Honourable Speaker, in regions of BC, in Nanaimo, in Kamloops, Honourable Speaker, in Surrey, and in Burnaby, Honourable Speaker. Well, Honourable Speaker, the Kamloops MLAs are heckling. There, there, hasn't been, there wasn't a cancer centre that I know of, Honourable Speaker between 2001 and 2017, no proposals Members. at all. There was nothing on the table. Members, please. 
Member. 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 Minister. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And it's why it's so important when I talk to people in the interior and on Vancouver Island, why people repeatedly come up and say how much and how, it impo how important it is for them to have PET C scanners in the, CT scanners in their communities, why that affects their experience of cancer care, their ability to get diagnosis, their ability to avoid for many people in the province. Honourable Speaker, well, Honourable Speaker, diagnosis is part of the treatment process, and it's very important. And I, I thought that's what the members were asking about. What we have, Honourable Speaker, is a 10-year cancer plan that is comprehensive in its response to an issue that is challenging and will continue to be challenging in the years to come. And that's why we are massively Thank investing you. in public health care after, frankly, a decade of inaction, Honourable Thank Speaker. You. Honourable Speaker. Member will conclude. Honourable Speaker, uh, that's why we're Mr. taking action now with a 10-year cancer plan that will address care for people across Thank British you. Columbia. House Leader of the Third Party. Mr. Speaker, we've seen this uh, Minister of Public Safety's response to protecting uh, the Premier's pipelines. Uh, he stood up a special unit called the Community Industry Response Group, CURGS it's known, it's uh, to police Indigenous people. Uh, it has a gold commander, it was a temporary unit, but now it's got uh, some permanent members. Uh, we've seen the videos of this unit violently arrest uh, my relatives. Uh, one of my uh, friends and relatives, she was tackled to the ground. Another a relative of mine, drum in hand, walking on a, on a public road, uh, far, far away from potential tree cutting, Mr. Speaker, also uh, tackled by a group of RCMP uh, police uh, linebackers. <coughs> Mr. Speaker, can the uh, minister let this uh, House know how much he's spent? And, you know, round numbers are fine. Is it 30, 40, or 50 million dollars on his special gold commander to harass, tackle, and arrest uh, Indigenous people in their own territory? Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable uh, Speaker, and I appreciate the question from the, uh, from the member. Uh, the member knows, uh, because we have asked, he has asked this question before, uh, that the, that the CERG, uh, as he refers to it, uh, is set up and is based to deal with the challenges that have been uh, brought forward uh, in terms of the enforcement around the injunctions that have been put in place by the court. Uh, the money that was budgeted, and I think it's around uh, $23 million, uh, was based on an average that has been spent over the last uh, three years, uh, and it is there to anticipate the, the, the expense that's going to be required uh, to deal with the court injunctions that have been in place or that have been granted by uh, the courts and the responsibility for police to do the enforcement uh, of, those, of, those, of those, in, those court injunctions. Uh, and so the, the amount of money that will be spent will be dependent uh, on the amount of activity that they have to deal with. Member Supplemental. Mr. Uh, Speaker, the, uh, the reconciliation path that we're walking is, tried, is, is, is an attempt to escape our colonial history, but apparently this uh, BCNDP government just can't let it go. We know uh, that the Minister of Public Safety has actually spent $50 million uh, on a special unit led by a gold commander with a militarized uh, emergency response team, community liaisons, he's got the courts at uh, uh, injunctions, courts, judges. 
however, Mr. Speaker, when it comes to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and boys, and our children, Mr. Speaker, uh, that's where the NDP actually show where they really stand. Because that money, as paltry as it is, is buried under bureaucratic paperwork, no gold commander, no special investigators, no team of special prosecutors. Uh, they just want Indigenous people to join them in their ceremonial pipe, cer their their pipe ceremony uh, that they and make them celebrated as progressive. Uh, meanwhile, the missing and murdered Indigenous babies, well, we're on our own for that, Mr. Speaker. Abandoned. So, Mr. Speaker, when will the Minister of Public Safety spend as much lifting our people up as he is spending pushing them down? Minister of Public Safety. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Um, I'll say this to the member. Every member on this House takes missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls very seriously. That's why we've made initiatives. That's why we are on the path of reconciliation. And it's not just about ceremonial and territorial acknowledgements. It's about real actions. Member, 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 please. And the member knows that there are a number of different actions that have been taken. And the member knows that the court system are the ones who give injunctions and say that those injunctions need to be enforced, and that's the police's responsibility. And at the same time, Honourable Speaker, police do investigate, and we expect them to investigate cases of murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls. And Member. Member. Let the minister complete his answer, please. And I can tell the honourable member, because we had that meeting yesterday, that my ministry indicated they were going to look at some of the things that we discussed in terms of how they could be implemented. And also made it very clear, as did uh, the Minister of Indigenous uh, uh, Relations and Reconciliation initiatives in his ministry in terms of funding that would be available. So to somehow suggest that we don't care or that we're not interested or they're not doing anything is just wrong and the member knows that. House Leader of the Fourth Party. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Last month, my daughter was admitted to the, the Abbotsford Hospital for several weeks due to a sudden life-threatening medical issue. Like any father, I was deeply concerned and I spent as much time as I could by her side. When I dropped by to see her at the hospital in Abbotsford, I was shocked to find bed after bed after bed of patients lined up against the walls in the hallway of the hospital. I was reminded of a third world country. I was also shocked to hear that her bathroom was being used by the very same patients in the hallways. On another visit, there was human feces on the floor of the bathroom in her unit and had been there for hours and hours. I was told that the bathroom wasn't getting cleaned because there was not enough staff. Mr. Speaker, I even considered cleaning the bathroom 
myself. My question to the Health Minister, should patients and their families be expected to quite literally clean up after this NDP's government health care staffing crisis? Minister of Health. Well, I think um, uh, the first thing I would say, Honourable Speaker, is to express uh, uh, our, our strong feelings of uh, sympathy to the Honourable Member and to his daughter uh, under these very difficult circumstances. Uh, the member will know, as all members of the House know, uh, how uh, open uh, my door is to people coming and talking to me about individual issues. I won't say more about it except to say that I know all members of the House are affected by these things, and many families in BC are affected by them. It's why, Honourable Speaker, um, with respect to our acute care system, we uh, continue to, to take exceptional action, especially with respect to health human resources, especially with respect across the communities supporting people who keep our hospital clean and keep people fed in our hospitals. We have added, um, Honourable Speaker, uh, 38,000 people net to our health care system since I've been Minister of Health. And I've met with people, including a day of meetings at Abbotsford Regional General Hospital, where I've heard from people, I say that to them, and we all agree it doesn't feel that way and that we have to continue to take actions to do so. It's why, with respect, particularly with respect to cleaning, uh, to housekeeping, and to food, we've repatriated contracts. Because as you know, as the member will know, people in those sectors were being paid poverty wages from 2002 to that time in order to do that work. So we have to continue to do that work. I am very committed to Abbotsford Regional General Hospital and working with the staff there. I've been there personally and engaged with staff for a full day. Thank you. And we'll continue to do that work together. Member Supplemental. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. You know, when I spoke with the doctors and the nurses at the hospital in Abbotsford, they expressed their concern, their deep concern to me about the state of chaos within our current healthcare system. The single thing, Mr. Speaker, they made me promise was not to use their names if I brought their concerns forward to this House. They were genuinely concerned of retribution and retaliation. Mr. Speaker, clearly this has become a toxic work environment. So my question to the Health Minister, will he commit to starting an anonymous forum open for the public to see where healthcare workers and the public can share honest feedback about the problems our healthcare system is facing, yes or no? Minister of Health. Well, Honourable Speaker, uh, there are systems that this House has put in place, including uh, the previous government, to allow people to make com com complaint and to have those complaints treated anonymously. Equally, Honourable Speaker, we're doing, I think, more than that. The member will know, particularly with respect to Indigenous people, the need to make fundamental changes in institutions across society. That was reflected in the In Plain Sight report, which is a significant report the government received. As we speak, there's a significant discussion that involves health care workers, Indigenous communities, people across British Columbia, around establishing principles of restorative justice, because what people don't need 
when they need, uh, and those people especially who feel they can't make complaint, and that's frequently and disproportionately Indigenous people in this province. What they don't need is confrontation. What they do need are processes that will lead to better results and lead to a sense of justice and involvement. And that's precisely what the government is doing. Member for Courtney East. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Last week, uh, the Energy Minister's uh, leaked confidential memo said the Premier needed help understanding the scale of his own cost BC scheme. Well, I'm here to offer a little advice and a little help to the Premier, and it's pretty simple. To, in order to electrify the economy, you need mining. Copper, nickel, graphite, lithium, rare earth elements, the list goes on. BC has at least 16 of the world's 31 critical minerals and metals. We just can't get them out of the ground. BC was once regarded as the world's mining headquarters, but now we're just a shell of our former self with no critical mineral strategy, an unbalanced carbon tax that punishes BC mining exports, and a cost BC scheme that is literally killing hundreds of thousands of jobs, more than thousands in the mining sector alone. This all means fewer lo local jobs, a shrinking economy, and more global emissions. Why is the Premier pushing a cost BC scheme that will destroy thousands of mining jobs and cancel projects that are critically needed to electrify our economy? Minister of Environment. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Uh, exploration for new mines is at a 10-year high in British Columbia. We have a critical mineral strategy. The Minister of uh, Energy and Mines and I and some of our colleagues have visited and had very exciting conversations with existing mines in British Columbia over the last uh, year, as well as with proponents seeking to start new mines. We established the uh, Clean Energy and Major Projects Office to attract critical minerals investment in British Columbia. We recently had very productive meetings with the Mining Association of British Columbia around the new BC output-based pricing system to ensure that they could attract investment and would remain competitive. And out of the proceeds of the carbon tax, we have co-capitalized very significant emission reduction projects in mines around British Columbia that have led to significant emission reductions, greater profitability, as well as the ability of these mines to market their commodities as low carbon. We'll continue that work. Member for Skina. Yesterday, in question period, the NDP Premier said the LNG industry is worn out. This has to be the most condescending, most disrespectful statement I've ever heard in this House. Members, members, let's hear the question, please. It was Member. First Nations that brought LNG to this House in 2004. Do you know why? I've, I've repeated this many times. Because everything else we tried to, to do to resolve poverty failed. Do you understand what that means? Do you understand what the violence of poverty means instead of laughing about it? Unemployment, poverty, children going into government care, suicide. That's what every First Nation was trying to do from Prince George to Kitimat in pushing LNG exports. And guess what? It worked. From 2004 to 2017, we resolved these issues with no government programs. 
It wasn't just words like what we're seeing now. And to say that the LNG is worn out, you're talking to Heisla Cedar. You're talking Niska Silism LNG exports. You're talking about Cloud Lake. It's not a worn out industry. It's uplifting BC and it's resolving Canada's shame. The poverty of First Nations. But in the meantime, the cost BC planned by the NDP Premier would rather ignore the LNG initiative that was brought here by the First Nations. And instead of giving them the power they need to electrify and export the fuel that the world needs, it's complete and utter disregard and disrespect. My question to the Premier, how can the Premier possibly defend a plan that will kill the LNG initiative instead of electrifying them? Minister of Environment. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. And, you know, I think the member opposite should know better than to misquote the Premier in the House. Hansard's clear. Mem is members, members, Nobody members, members, Minister. Well, that's right, Mr. Speaker. I heard the members opposite. The Premier's comment was about the worn out, ineffectual, no results boosterism of the former Premier Christy Clark. This government. Member. There are some people who say we should have unlimited development no matter the environmental cost. There are other people who say you can't develop certain resources uh, because you can't manage the environmental impacts. We say they're both wrong. We have a climate plan. We've said when we were in opposition, we said when we were in government that LNG had to fit within that plan. It is not easy, but we have worked with the industry. We worked with the Heisla Members. around Cedar LNG. We are working with the industry to put in a regulatory cap on emissions to ensure that through electrification and other means, they fit within our emission reduction targets while still contributing to the economy of British Columbia. We will continue to do that, no matter what members opposite say, because we are getting results. The bell ends the question period.